As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. All right, so Matt, why did the turkey get excused from the Christmas dinner table? Mm, I don't know. It was using foul language. Good. <laughs> <laughs> good. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. (laughs) All right, everybody, here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? Hey, I'm doing good. Other good. than uh, other than the fact that I, I'm gonna share this, I have been I have been extremely gassy today. Uh-oh. I don't know what I ate yesterday. I did have salad for dinner last night. I don't know what was in that salad, um, but it's kind of scary because uh, I can't smell any of that. Oh yeah, because. That that was what I was left with from COVID is I can't I can't smell poop. That's right, I remember that. that stuff. Yeah. So you know I'm I'm worried that I'm like I'm 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 gassing people out and I can't tell. You know. <laughs> yeah, that is bad when you when you can't tell your own aroma. That's pretty bad. I'm like, man, I may be killing some you know local wildlife and yeah. I don't realize it. Well, all I can say is I can't tell. I'm going to have more editing to do this episode. I can feel. Um, and I it, was thinking about that today. I was like, oh, my God, what's yeah. wrong with me? Uh, I'm going to be listening back to this editing and go, what was that? And I keep like listening. Oh, that's Matt. Never mind. Does Matt have a does Matt have a, a dog or a barking spider in the studio yeah. with him? <laughs> my dad always used to do that and then go hey, hey you hear that barking tree spider uh-huh. <laughs> but you talking about smelling yourself that reminded me um there was old saying that my grandpa used to tell me he said look you need to bathe because as soon as you start smelling yourself that means people have been smelling you for two days that's right and i'm like well that's a good point <laughs> We have to do it with the kids. Oh, yep. You stink. Mm-hmm. Go take a bath, stinky. Yep. <laughs> so on that note, um, yeah. about taking baths, um, we want to 
go say check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com. You can find different shows to listen to. I don't think any of them are about bathing, but maybe they are. Uh, maybe they've added a new shower podcast in there that I haven't seen yet. But go check them out at podbelly.com. You can find a bunch of different shows about a bunch of different topics. We want to thank tonight's sponsors, Fields, Shutter, and HelloFresh, and we'll talk about them here in a little bit. We want to thank them for sponsoring this episode. Um, also, we want to say that we have received all the stories for the Christmas episode this year. Thank you so much for sending them in. We got a ton of them. So what we're going to do is your Christmas episode is going to be listener stories. And then the episode on New Year's Eve will also be some listener stories. So kind of like we did last year, we're going to split them into two episodes and give them to y'all that way. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, y'all, again, you you blew us away. Yep. Uh, with the number of stories, and we appreciate it. And it's gonna be it's gonna be a great uh, two listener story episodes. Mm-hmm. And so we're getting them together right now, and uh, we will get those to you very shortly. Adam, let's take a let's take a minute and talk about one of tonight's sponsors. Feels CBD. Now, Feels is a better way to feel better. Their premium CBD will keep your head clear and help you feel your best. And CBD has been proven to greatly reduce anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. Now, you know, I take it for all of the above, really. Um, and, and to be totally honest, Feels is one of the absolute best CBD products that I have tried hands down. Oh, yeah. You can actually feel it working, and no pun intended. But if you're new to CBD, Feels offers a free CBD hotline uh, to help guide you through this process so that you can understand um, what you know, what dosage is going to be right for you? What what are you going to be taking it for? Right, because it's different for everybody. That's right. That's right. And feels can help you know how much to take, when to take it, what is going to be the best for you for the problems that you're trying to help. That's right. And like Matt said, CBD naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. And... I, I take it for the anxiety and I have chronic neck and shoulder pain and I've noticed if I take CBD on a regular basis then it really lowers and almost gets rid of the neck pain and shoulder pain so it's well worth it and it keeps you off of other pain relievers and stuff like that which is fantastic to me all you do is you place a few drops of feels under your tongue and you feel the difference within minutes The thing to remember about CBD is that finding your right dose is important. And like we said, everyone's dose is different. Um, And like Matt was mentioning, they offer a free CBD hotline to guide your personal experience so you find that correct dose. The Fields customer service team is dedicated to making sure you get the best use of your CBD. Now, joining the Fields monthly membership makes your self-care easy. You'll save money on every order, and you can pause or cancel at any time, which is important. If you don't have the money that month, you don't have to worry about it. You can pause it and pick it up the next month. So start feeling better with feels. 
Become a member today by going to feels.com slash grave. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash G-R-A-V-E. And you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. Yeah, that's feels, F-E-A-L-S dot com slash grave, G-R-A-V-E, to become a member and get 50% taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash grave. So, Matt, oddly enough, that's all I've got. I don't have... (laughs) I don't have five more minutes of uh, talking that I can do to irritate people just for the, <laughs> just for the heck of it. But uh, why don't, this is probably going to be a long episode anyway. So why don't we go ahead and get into it? Why don't you All tell right. us what are we talking about tonight, brother? Okay. So tonight we're, we're going to look into the weird experiences and happenings around Russia's Lake Baikal. Oh yeah. And if you've you, you've probably heard of Lake Baikal, um, maybe not for the reasons we're going to discuss tonight. But you know, it's if we take out all of the the weirdness, it is still a, an absolutely amazing place. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, we're we're talking about you know a, a lake that's incredibly large incredibly deep and incredibly old. Mm-hmm. Um, so if something, uh, if, if something bizarre was going to happen in a lake on, on earth, this is the prime spot. Oh, yeah, I exactly. You. So um, Adam's going to go into a little bit of uh, the, uh, the, the geography and um, the, the uniqueness of Lake Baikal and, and then we're going to discuss uh, some of the bizarre stories that have come from around there. That's right. Um, as we always say, go check our sources. Um, you can find the different places that we have found this information. And I got I know I got some of mine from an interesting source that I didn't think would have anything about it, and I'll I'll hit on that when I get there. But um, go down to the bottom of our show notes, and you can find the links and all that to our information. Now, like Matt was saying, Lake Baikal is the world's largest, oldest, and deepest lake. Um, it's located in south-central Russia, near the Mongolian border, and the largest nearby city is Irkutsk. Um, and I'm, I'm going to apologize up front to any of our listeners in Russia or any anywhere around there or that speak Russian. I don't. And that <laughs> I'm doing my best. Let's let's say this. Russian may be the hardest one we've tried other than maybe like, you know, Chinese or, or, or something, you know, yeah. it, it pronouncing the uh, the English translated names of these places is tough yeah i I, th- okay. I still think i'm better at mandarin trying to pronounce mandarin than i am <laughs> russian they're not all like moscow I mean, right right <laughs> it's like that's that's the easiest one to say out of all of them. no kidding and well, as i've said before my stupid southern tongue 
that some people would say sounds too big for my mouth doesn't do too well with this. So yeah. I will do my best and forgive me. Um, you, you know, gently tell me how bad I pronounced it, but don't be too mean. Um, now, Lake Baikal has historically played a large role in the Russian imagination. This says it represents the unspoiled beauty of Russia and is sometimes referred to as the Sacred Sea. And Lake Baikal plays a central part in many local creation myths and appears throughout Russian folklore, according to um, Baikal nature. So um, it's just, it's very famous in the area and it, and it has been for a long time because of the age of it, um, but it has a bunch of folklore tales about it and everybody around that area has some story about Lake Baikal, whether it be a personal story or whether it be, you know, my granddad's grandmother, what had an, you know, something happened here or they live there or something. It, it plays a, a vital role in the culture. Um, and Lake Baikal attracts more than 500,000 tourists a year, according to Siberian times. So for a lake in Russia, up there near Mongolia to bring in that many tourists is wild to me because that's a long way away from a lot of us. Does anybody else have when that's not from uh, Russia have this idea that Siberia is just this huge frozen barren wasteland? I think a lot of people do. Yeah. I th that's always what is in my head when I hear Siberia. So when I hear something about people living there, I'm like, people live there. And yeah, and I, and I know <laughs> that it's not necessarily that way. I'd imagine a lot of it is, is that way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when you say the Siberian times, I'm like, it's, it's it's funny to me because I'm like, there's a newspaper there. <laughs> yeah. Well, when we get when we get into you know, there's, uh, there's plenty of people there. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, when we get into talking about um, the animals toward the end of my notes that uh, live there, that was one of the things that fascinated me was the number of animals that live in that area, despite yeah. all of us thinking it's frozen tundra. Right now. This comes from encyclopedias, um, um, mostly Encyclopedia Britannica, but some others. And it says, it is the oldest existing freshwater lake on Earth. It's 20 million to 25 million years old. It's old. That's old. It, it'd have a long white beard if lakes had a beard. Right. It's almost as old as my first car. but <laughs> <laughs> Not quite, though. Right? Not quite. <laughs> Now, it says, as well as the deepest continental body of water, having a maximum depth of 5,315 feet or 1,620 meters, its area is some 12,200 square miles with a length of 395 miles and an average width of 30 miles. So it is also the world's largest freshwater lake by volume, containing about one-fifth of the fresh water on Earth's surface, some 5,500 cubic miles. Now, into Lake Baikal flow more than 330 rivers and streams. Can you imagine that? 
Yeah, you said it before we came on. You said it perfectly. It's like a freshwater ocean. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, it says the largest of these 330 rivers that flow into it uh, include the Salanga, the Barguzin, the Upper Angara, Chicoy, and Yuda lakes, or rivers, I'm sorry. So if you're from around there and know the topography, you know those are some of the big, big rivers near that area but just imagine 330 rivers and streams flowing into one freshwater body of water it it's it, it's hard to fathom mm-hmm. it really is you you i the whole time doing this research i'm trying to get a mental picture of the 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 way this lake was formed and and how it looks and how it it comes about and it, it's just hard for me to fathom. Yep, I'm just chuckling because you were talking about the world's deepest lake and you said fathom. Nah, <laughs> that was an unintended pun. I, I even do it when I don't mean to. Now, believe it or not, um, this is the source that I said I was shocked to find anything about it but it's from forbes um and they've got some good information on lake baikal so i thought we could take a look at some of the sciencey stuff that they had here they they have good sources too so i know this is a, a good link but it, it was just weird for me to find forbes talking about this but since i'm kind of your redneck sciencey reporter here and I, I thought we should get into some of the sciencey stuff Notice I'm not the scientist. I'm just the scientist, uh, the science reporter. I I just tell you what other, you know, actual scientists have said. Adam Nye. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Adam now, Nye, the sciencey guy. There you go. Sciencey. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> not actual scientist. He's sciencey. He repeats yeah. crap all the time. So, yeah. Now, this says that freshwater lakes make up just 0.007% of the total amount of water on Earth, but they make up the overwhelming majority of liquid freshwater on our surface. Most of Earth's lakes are relatively young, less than 18,000 years old, and formed during the end of the last ice age. Only 20 lakes worldwide are ancient, but more than... Uh, you know, by ancient, they mean more than one million years old. But Lake Baikal is not only Earth's oldest lake at 25 to 30 million years old. So they're adding about five million years on to what the encyclopedia said. So give or give or take five million years. I mean, not a big deal. Look, once once you get past a million years old, does it really matter? <laughs> That's a good point. I mean, if I make it to a million years old, I'm not going to care if I'm one or two million. It doesn't matter. Yeah, that's right. Now, the ancient lakes found on Earth are few in number, but all have something in common. They're all found in active rift zones as a consequence of plate tectonics. And we talked about some plate tectonics on the Ozark Howler episode talking about mountain formation. So this is another cool thing that plate tectonics do. Um, this is wherever two of the plates of Earth's crust move apart from one another, uh, 
such as at a divergent plate boundary or a rift valley um, around that area can begin to form. So mountains are on one side where the plates hit each other and push up. A rift valley where some of these old, old lakes are is where that plate is pulling away and creating like a chasm. Uh, yeah, a big gap mm-hmm. that fills with water. Right. Um, this says that over time, the forces of erosion will deepen the rift valley, creating an enormous and deep pit. What begins as a chasm with two steep, nearly parallel sides eventually widens, filling with sediment from the rift walls or in the con- if the conditions are right, fresh water. Of all the ancient lakes over 1 million years old found on Earth, an enormous 75% of them are formed by this very process, with the exceptions resulting from events like meteor impacts or a volcanic feature. So yeah. if, if it's not a rift valley, then it's something big hitting the Earth and pfft, blowing a big hole in it. Now, this says if you were to take all of the fresh surface water in the world and add it up, you'd wind up with enough to fill a cube approximately 22 miles on each side. This includes all lakes, rivers, streams, swamps, marshes, living creatures, and even the water in Earth's atmosphere. Now, Lake Baikal, which holds more fresh water than any other lake on Earth, is responsible for a whopping 22% of it. Over 23,000 cubic kilometers, or 5,600 cubic miles worth. It contains double the amount of water found in Lake Superior, five times the amount found in Lake Michigan, and more than all of the North American Great Lakes combined. That, that's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's... I. We talked about, when we talked about stuff around the Great Lakes, we talked about how these lakes were so huge, they had weather systems... Stuff right. like the ocean. But that doesn't, I mean, that, that pales in comparison to the amount of water at Lake Baikal. Now, granted, it has a big surface area, but it's also very, 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 very deep. And we'll, mm-hmm. we'll touch on that. So a lot of the water isn't spread out wide like it would be in some of the Great Lakes. Yeah. But... It's deep. It's insane. So this says that the bottom of the lake is more than a full kilometer below sea level. But the rift valley that created it goes far deeper. According to research at the University of Alaska Fairbanks, there are approximately an additional 7,000 meters or 23,000 feet of sediment that have fallen into the Rift Valley over time, placing the Rift floor an incredible 8 to 11 kilometers or 5 to 7 miles beneath the surface. Man. That's crazy. 5 to 7 miles into the Earth. So, so granted... So, essentially, uh, it was it was so deep that just over time, the, the sand and dirt and, and rock has just filled it in enough that the, the the physical bottom that you would see is is a lot is a, is a lot uh more shallow than the actual bottom of the right. lake and it's still the deepest lake right exactly um it, it's 
just uh, the amount of sediment is phenomenal yeah. because there's nowhere else really except oceans that you could come up with that much sediment. Um, but it does say that this makes the geological rift that's home to Lake Baikal the deepest continental rift on the planet. So yep. now it says this continental continental rift is both young and active. So it's not dormant. It's not done. With every year that goes by, the rift widens approximately two centimeters or eight tenths of an inch, which doesn't seem like much, but give it a hundred years and you've got a fair amount. Now, like I said, there are more than 300 rivers that feed into Lake Baikal, but there's only one, the Angara River, that empties it. So it's like, Picture a head with a whole bunch of hair coming out of the top and then a skinny neck coming out of the bottom. <laughs> yeah. That skinny neck is the Angara River. Now, this goes on to say that based on the geology of the lake alone, but supported by the water and sediment studies, Lake Baikal is estimated for up to 30 million years old. And it is very rare to have a lake on Earth that persists more than 10 million years. Only five are even candidates for that title. And the evidence for Lake Baikal's old age is overwhelming. So Kazakhstan's Lake Zaysan is the only lake that might be older, as substantial evidence dates, dates it to the Lake Crustaceous more than 65 million years ago. However, its exact age remains pretty controversial. So Lake Baikal is the oldest lake without large uncertainties in its age. Which, that's crazy too. If that other yep. lake is anywhere near uh, the Cretaceous period, you know how much change the Earth has gone through since then and it to still be there? I mean, mm -hmm. even even the, the 20 to 30 million years that Lake Baikal is old, the amount of change that the topography of the earth has gone through and for it to still be a viable freshwater lake. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's shocking that anything that old is still in existence. You know, even if we're talking about a natural, uh, a, a natural wonder, like, like Lake Baikal. Right. Um, but you know, when you, when you start looking back, you know, Things like this always make me think about that the theory of Pangea, you know, that everything was just one big giant landmass and then it broke away. Mm -hmm. And and this is this is how this stuff happened. You know, these these tectonic plates, you know, broke apart and started drifting. And, you know, that's how the earth as we know it today, you know, gave, gained its appearance. I was I was watching a video of of how the lake formed and they were showing maps and they had color coded with the you know where the rift was and everything right. and 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 had a diagram of how much it had grown over the last like you know thousand years or something and Piper nine years old grabs it and goes oh dad I know all about this and she pauses the video and starts telling me. About so right here along here, this is this tectonic plate, and then this is this one, and then they're moving apart like this. And I was like, 
That's cool. I'm, I was like, I am picking you up for math tutoring. Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing I, I don't have to worry about you. Uh, on the science part of things. <laughs> no, <laughs> getting a bad grade in science. You're obviously listening to something. Exactly. <laughs> yep. That's cool. I mean, I, and Michael was actually just a little while ago learning about uh, plate tectonics. So it is kind of neat. Um, yeah. I, I'm very fascinated in science and if you, if y'all can't tell science and history. Um, and it's always cool when Michael will come to me and tell me stuff that I, I know it, but I, I like to hear him tell me about it. I like the fact that he knows it. Now, this goes on to say that Lake Baikal is not only the largest, deepest, and oldest lake in the world, but it houses around 2,000 unique known species of animal that are not found anywhere else on Earth. We'll touch on some of the animals here in a minute. But it also says that along with chemical pollution in Lake Baikal, this unique ecosystem left pristine for millions of years is now changing faster than it ever has. So due to the pollution there in Russia around Lake Baikal, it's changing the habitat in ways that may um, kill some of these unique species that only live there. Now, got this from Live Science, and it says there are 27 mostly uninhabited islands in Lake Baikal, um, according to the uh, lakebaikal.org. The largest is 45-mile-long Olkon, on which there actually are some villages. Um, and they say about 15,000 people live on that one island. 1,500 people live on that one island. That's We were talking about this, too. It's like, who would want to live out on an island in a lake? And Adam's like, I would. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, let's back up. Who would want to live on an island in an enormous lake in Siberia? <laughs> Maybe yeah, that, not. That's where he lost me, was uh, there. <laughs> Too cold. Too cold. Now, this says that Lake Baikal is the only very deep lake to have oxygen oxygenated water at its lowest depths, just like the ocean. Um, this is according to a 2009 article in Bioscience. So, most lakes that are this deep, they they have an oxygen barrier. Mm-hmm. And if you look into, I mean, just Google search deep lakes. And as you get to a certain level, there's no more oxygen, so there's no plants growing there's no animals living down in the bottom of the lakes. It's a dead zone. Yeah. Nothing goes down there except driftwood, dead animals, whatever. So yeah. you can have some bacteria that live down there, but there's going to be no large animal life forms. It's it's anaerobic bacteria. You know, it yes. doesn't require oxygen to survive. Right. Um, and but you know some some creatures have have adapted to live in very low oxygen low light depths mm -hmm. um but typically you will will have uh, you know an area where there's no oxygen so nothing nothing is really living there things may kind of drift through. in and out of it yeah but nothing actually inhabits it 
But with oxygen going all the way to the bottom, or very, very close, that means that there's there's some forms of life that live all the way down at the bottom, which is incredibly difficult to study yeah. because it's so deep and so cold. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and I mean, go back on that thing. This It's like a freshwater ocean with how it acts. Uh, the the topography, the depth, the the way it's oxygenated, all that, and this says that uh, another thing about Lake Baikal is that the Earth under Lake Baikal is actually heated, and they say that the cause of this heat is actually unknown. So Lake Baikal itself is being heated from underneath, and. They don't know exactly why. They have ideas, they have theories, but they can't get all the way down there to the bottom of it to research it either. Just like yeah. they can't research the the microbes or animals that may live down there. So keep that in mind when we start talking about some of the stories that Matt has. The mm-hmm. fact that it's oxygenated to its lowest depths and it's heated from below. Yeah, what and could I was, that mean? I was, I was just about to say we're we're getting there. You know, uh-huh. this is this is important information to to keep in the forefront of your of your brain while you're starting to process these stories we're going to get into. Right now, this says Lake Baikal is considered one of the clearest lakes in the world, according to CNN Traveler. During the summer, when the lake is full of melted ice from the Siberian mountains, it is sometimes possible to see more than 130 feet or 39 meters down. That's wild. Mm -hmm. That's a long way to be able to see. It says the stunning clarity is the result of the melted ice's purity and plankton that eat floating debris and a lack of mineral salts in the lake. Yeah. So anything floating in there, the plankton's taken care of to keep it pristine. It doesn't. It, it's not. It doesn't have mineral salts like oceans would, or or even freshwater lakes will have some minerals in it. Yeah, yeah. You know that thing about that the clarity of the water at at certain times made me think. I I have I have been swimming in a lake that was an old rock quarry. That was, mm-hmm. you know, the 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 rock was was mined to, you know, use for uh, roads in that area. Yep. The quarry is eighty feet deep and it's full of water. Right. Um. So you're essentially swimming in an eighty foot deep lake. Okay. At most of the time, if you're out swimming in it, you can't look down and see your feet. Yeah. <laughs> okay. No, you're talking about being able to see. Not only the bottom of the lake I was in, but about 50 feet further. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Now, we mentioned the unique animals and plants that live in Lake Baikal. So let's take a look at some of the animals and birds and stuff that live around the area. Now, the lake, the Baikal seal is endemic to Lake Baikal. It is the only freshwater seal species in the world. So that's kind of neat. A seal, freshwater seal lives here. And like we said in the Ozark Howler episode, it's a seal too. 
Ozark Howler is a seal out in the woods. So <laughs> we had the yeah, only freshwater right. seal and then the only land-dwelling forest seal yeah, that we've we talked about. Now, it says a wide range of land mammals can be found in the habitats around the lake, such as the Eurasian brown bear, the Eurasian wolf, the red fox, which red fox is one of my favorite animals besides wolves. Um, but one of the reasons I like the red fox, it's stupid, but I like its scientific name, Vulpus Vulpus. <laughs> it's easy to remember. It's the same yeah, thing. That's right. Um. Also, the sable, the stolt, the elk, the Altai Wapiti, which is a subspecies of elk, reindeer, the Siberian roe deer, Siberian musk deer, wild boar, red squirrel, Siberian chipmunk, marmots, lemmings, and mountain hares all live here. And until the early Middle Ages, populations of the European bison were actually found near the lake. This represented the easternmost range of that species. Now, there are 236 species of birds that inhabit Lake Baikal, 29 of which are waterfowl. They've got 29 species of waterfowl that live in Lake Baikal. Fewer than 65 native fish species occur in the lake basin, but more than half of these are endemic. So it means they're only found here. Um, the most important local species for fisheries is the omul, which is an endemic whitefish. It is caught, smoked, and then sold widely in markets around the lake. So if you're in the area and you're going to get a smoked whitefish, it's probably going to be this omul, which is endemic to Lake Baikal. And it's going to be cold. It's going to be cold, probably. <laughs> Unless you pull it right off the fire, it's going to be cold. It's pretty cool. Though. A lot of life. Um, yes. In and around the lake, um, so so why? I mean, you know, like I said at the beginning of the show, the Lake Baikal is cool to talk about, even if there's nothing odd or strange mm -hmm. or paranormal or whatever going on there. Um, you know, it's it's unique um, in its you know its size, its depth, its age. Uh, you know, all of that makes it a really fascinating place. But there's more. <laughs> but wait, there's more. There, There is some really weird stuff that has happened over the years in and around Lake Baikal. Um, and we're, we're going to get into that. All right, Matt. So let's take a second and talk about one of Graveyard Tales' longtime sponsors, Shudder. Now, AMC Shudder is the best streaming service for horror, thriller, and supernatural fil films and series. So, of course, they're closing out the year with a stocking full of holiday horrors. From your favorites like Black Christmas and Better Watch Out to new exclusives like the Advent Calendar. December also brings new sci-fi monster movie Death Valley, a new Last Drive-In special with Joe Bob Briggs, um, Joe Bob Briggs Ruins Christmas, along with new episodes of the Boulay Brothers' Dracula and the season finale of docu-series Behind the Monsters, unpacking the surprising origins of Hellraiser's infamous Pinhead. That's awesome. And I love the Hellraiser movie, so that's awesome yeah. that they've got that. Um, other notable title 
titles that they have. Um, like we mentioned was the Boulay Brothers Dragula, which is new every Tuesday through December 21st. Behind the Monsters, Death Valley, the Advent Calendar, House of Wax, both 1953 and 2005. So that's pretty cool. Great White and Prisoners of the Ghost Land. Yeah, and you can stream these great thrillers, horror, and suspense for only $5.99 a month or $56.99 a year. Shudder has the largest, fastest-growing curated selection of thrilling and dangerous entertainment, making it truly the Netflix of horror. Now, there are new supernatural terrors, edge-of-receipt thrillers, and shocking horrors added every week, and you'll have unlimited access to stream ad-free on all of your favorite devices like iPhone, iPad, Apple TV, Xbox One, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, and so many more. Trust me, if you've got a device, you can get Shutter on it. Absolutely. We use that Amazon Fire TV, and it works great. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, back during Halloween, um, you know, we started immediately hunting down all of these horror movies that our son had never seen. Yeah, yeah. And we keep telling him, hey, you need to watch this. I, I think we we watched Saw. We watched uh, the original Halloween. Um, so many things. It, it, it just, it's fantastic. And he still hasn't slept, but that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's way better now than he used to be. Awesome. That's good. Breaking him in. I like it. I like it. So Graveyard Tales listeners can get started right now streaming Shudder's expertly curated collection, including must-see titles like Vicious Fun, The Mortuary Collection, and PG Psycho Gorman, plus all the best horror deck documentaries and the hit Creepshow TV series from executive producer Greg Nicotero. To try Shudder for free for 30 days, go to Shudder.com and use our promo code GRAVE. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R dot com with our promo code GRAVE, G-R-A-V-E. That's right. You can try Shudder for free for 30 days. You can't beat that. All you have to do is go to Shudder.com, S-H-U-D-D-E-R dot com, and use our promo code GRAVE. That's G-R-A-V-E. You you just we're we're just there's no other way to do it. We're just gonna have to jump into this. I can't I can't even come up with a lead in that's gonna do this justice. Okay, so let's let's start with the with the main with the main uh, meat. In 2009, the Russian government declassified top secret documents from the Soviet era, and in these documents are several accounts of the Russian Navy encountering ufos and usos um which you know a uso is just an unidentified unidentified submerged object isn't that what it is Mm -hmm. so you know same thing if you see it in the air it's an unidentified flying object if you see it in the water it's unidentified submerged object um but one of the most famous accounts comes from 1982 when Russian divers on a research mission dove into the deep waters of Lake Baikal, and due to its depth and extreme cold, investigating the lake is extremely difficult. Okay? 
At around a depth of 50 meters, the divers realized that they were being watched. Hmm. Large humanoid figures, but larger than humans, were hovering close in the water. They appeared to be wearing helmets and these tight silvery suits. Uh, the report estimates that the figures would have been around nine feet tall. That's crazy. So, Adam, I don't know what you would do if you were one of these Russian divers. Poop. Yeah, maybe. I know what I would do, and it wouldn't be what these Russian divers did. <laughs> okay? They tried to capture one. Yeah, no, I wouldn't do that. I'd be okay. trying to get out of there. Right. Um, I don't, that, that just blew me away that they were like, oh, look, <laughs> let's, let's catch one. Big, silvery, nine-foot-tall creatures. Let me yeah. go catch it. Yeah. Turns out that was a bad idea. Uh, the documents state that when the divers made their move, the creatures reacted. Suddenly, a powerful force essentially launched the divers back to the surface. Okay, so I, I know what you're thinking. You can't rise that fast, Matt. Exactly. I know. But for those of you that do not know, you cannot rise too quickly when scuba diving or you risk getting decompression sickness or the bends as it's I've more commonly it, known. I've heard it is so painful. Not only yeah. could it kill you, but it's so painful if you yeah. live through it. Yeah. I mean, this is where the pressure surrounding you, either air or water, suddenly decreases. So this can cause significant internal injuries. And three of the seven divers died, with mm -hmm. the other four sustaining severe damage. Now, those who have investigated the story in the documents often question why the creatures reacted this way. Uh, hello, you just tried to capture one of them. <laughs> right. I mean, why, so, why you got to investigate that? I know. I, mean, I know. I'm watching this going, why? It, this is obvious. They responded in a defensive manner to aggression by the Russian divers. Yeah. Okay. So it seems as if these creatures were going to be the aggressors here. They would have done so long before they were detected. I mean, sure. they, they had the advantage. Nobody was expecting nine foot humanoids to be swimming around in Lake Baikal. Right. And they probably had seen these divers long before the divers saw them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, UFO investigators believe that this account may indicate many things about extraterrestrials. Could they survive or adapt to survive freezing temperatures? And there was no description of a craft in the documents. So could these alien creatures live in Lake Baikal or yet have bases hidden in the depths? Way, mm -hmm. way beyond the range of easy human detection. Okay. Yep. And so that was one of the things that the, the bases, could they either be taking advantage of the weird heating that science doesn't understand, or are they causing the heating? If there is a base mm -hmm. un, under Lake Baikal, could there be, you know, them putting off heat that's heating the lake? Right. And, you know, remember we said, you know, this, this information that Adam was covering was important because it goes to the idea that this is a possibility. 
The mm-hmm. lake is so deep that they can't really investigate the bottom well. Yep. And if you wanted to hide something like that, then that would be the place on earth to pick. Absolutely. I mean, you know, if you wanted to, you know, keep from keep from being discovered, put it down there at the bottom of this deep lake and yep. then you know, the lake's freezing cold. It don't matter. You know, you could 500,000 visitors a year. Heck, make it a million. They're not going to see this at the bottom of that lake. Right. And how long ago could you have put your base down there? Right. This lake is so old, they could have done it generations ago. Yeah. Many generations ago. And it makes me uh, make a comparison to the idea of this ancient race of people living inside Mount Shasta. Yep. Okay. Yep. You know, large mountain, you know, it'd be very hard to detect, you know, something that was subterranean like that. This to me would be even more difficult. Oh yeah. hundred percent. So there's, I know that because of these other stories that I'm going to get into, people believe that they are extraterrestrial that have, that inhabit that lake. Um, but what if it's not, what if it's just a, an advanced race much like the one that is supposed to live in late in uh in Mount Shasta, yep. um, you know that had that figured out. Hey, you know we can we can get down here to the bottom, and we can do what we need to do and observe human life for the next however long, and no one will know we're here. Yep, like we've talked about in other episodes, a breakaway civilization of very intelligent humans, maybe. You know, if we're going down this path, maybe it's the same people that were supposedly uh, the inhabitants of Egypt at the time of the pyramids that taught them how Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. do the pyramids or Atlantis. That's what I was thinking. Or What, what if it's Atlantis? Yeah, exactly. So if we're going down that thought. You know, Atlantis could be a a metaphor for something, Mm -hmm. but what if the species of humanoids was around? That is a legit Mm -hmm. story. Maybe they could have just gone underground and one of them be here at Lake Baikal. Maybe it wasn't a tragedy. Maybe it was on purpose. Yeah, exactly. But let's, Adam, let's, let's talk just for a minute about the validity of this story. Um, you know, there's, there's stories that are not nearly as, as fantastical as this one that, you know, people completely shut down, you know, Mm -hmm. no, no way, no how, whatever. It's just a legend. I mean, we didn't even know this story until 2009 when these documents were declassified. Right. Now, could could somebody have said, hey, we're going to release this like it was declassified and, you know, we're going to we're going to get some tourists and stuff up here at this mm-hmm. lake in Siberia. Sure. But that doesn't seem that doesn't seem like a reasonable thing. I I don't know. I, it, it just could doesn't happen, seem like but it could. But the Russian government doesn't doesn't. um Tourism doesn't seem to be at the top of the Russian government's list. (laughs) 
You know, not not from what I understand. No, I mean, you know, they're not telling you don't come, but you know, they're not they're not really promoting. You know, hey, come visit this resort, and you know, no, visit sunny Siberia. (laughs) Come on down to Lake Baikal. We've got so many outdoor activities for you. There's water skiing. There's freezing your butt yeah. off in the lake. So my thought is, what what benefit would that give anybody that would have access to these documents? It's not like mm-hmm. some prankster, you know, is going to be able to get in there and slip this in and go, Ooh, you know. I mean, we're talking about classified Soviet documents. Right. Okay. I mean, you know, there's probably not but a handful of people that would even have access to such a thing. So, to me, it gives a lot of credibility to this story. Now, how it happened, what it happened, you know, we don't know. But I I think at least with these documents, it shows that something significant happened Mm -hmm. that took the lives of three out of seven divers and significantly injured the other four. And this was the story that the, the survivors had. Right. You know, that this is what they saw and this is how they wound up back at the surface. You know, they weren't all seven going to do this on purpose. They weren't down there hatching a plan to go, hey, I got an idea. Let's all get the bins. Yeah. Let's fake this and all get the bins as yeah, we go up. Because I'd have been down there going, hey, I got an idea. Let's not do that. That's mm-hmm. a terrible idea. You go so, ahead and do it. I'll see you in about 20 minutes when I decompress. Yeah. Now, so, didn't you say. Or maybe I'm just remembering from another source. Um, some of them were actually not just up to the water surface, but they were shot out of the water surface. In some accounts, a couple yeah. of them. In yeah. some accounts, yeah. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't like, oh, hey, they're coming up. Whoa, they're coming up kind of fast. I mean, that's why I said they were essentially launched. Yeah. By this by this powerful force that just you know yeah. shot them up. You know, they were they were only at a depth of, of 50 meters. So, I mean, it, it wasn't like they were, you know, just way, way down, you know, where it would have taken them that long to get up. I mean, at 50 meters, you know, they blast off, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, who knows? It, it just seems like the the story that people you know, latch on to about Lake Baikal, it's got it's got some teeth. Right. I mean, it really does. But why? Why? What would what would have been going on here that would have um, led to an experience like this for these divers? Well, it turns out right after that event in 1982, a lot of UFO sightings occurred in and around the region of Lake Baikal. So just five years after the, the, the divers went down, on April 17th, 1987, Valerie Rudensoff, a local resident of the nearby Sheeta village, had this experience. He says, there were 13 of us. It was about 1220 a.m. One of our guys went out into the yard, and a few seconds later, runs and calls all of us out. He stood in the center of the yard and pointed his finger at the sky. 
Diagonally from his gesture, 150 meters above us, hung a huge flying saucer. From the center of the plate went a phosphorant purple ray, and at the edges of the plate were yellow portholes, almost like in our rural houses. The diameter of the plate was 70 meters. We saw it so clearly, and for such a long time, someone even suggested that they throw a stone at it. Hmm. See if we can hit this thing. Yeah, it's just sitting there. You know, see yeah. if it'll move. That's like when you're trying to figure out if a spider's dead or not. You're blowing on <laughs> it. Right. Oh, it's not dead. <laughs> throwing throwing stuff at street signs is what it reminds me of. <laughs> it's a big street sign. Let's just throw stuff, shoot a 12-gauge at it. Yeah. Rudensoft goes on and says the weather was amazingly quiet. No sound was heard from the hanging saucer, although behind us, was the village of Kerma, there was a noise of a dog barking and the mooing of cows because, you know, they were just shocked. So, it, mm-hmm. you know, it, I think what he's saying is, is that they could hear other sounds that around them. So that's how they could tell that this thing in the sky wasn't making any sound. Yeah. It's not like what we've seen in other paranormal encounters where all sound is blocked out. Right. Where you just hear nothing. They they actually still hear stuff from the sur- the surrounding area, but absolutely nothing from the craft, which you would think if you're comparing it to our um technology, you have to have something moving to create lift. Uh-huh. So you would hear the rotors going or a jet engine or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Certainly if it was man-made you, yes you would yep. expect to hear or, or see all of that um but he says it was a full moon and the visibility was so clear that uh none of us could doubt the reality of what we saw and then the plate slid smoothly away sailed along the shore of the bay and further slipped into the hills of uh Olcon. he said neither before nor after have i ever met such a thing now this is you know, of course, this is translated from Russian, so. Yeah. yeah. He said, but since that time, he said, it's been kind of a sacrilege to me not to believe in UFOs. He says, my friend Alexander, who's a UFO hunter, and his colleagues who lived there for 20 years often see UFOs, and all is fine. He is still alive. I said, so if to speak about glowing balls or, quote, cigars, we constantly see these on the shores of Lake Baikal. They exist. Um, so, I mean, this, you know, this witness and the people that were with him obviously believe that not only are there UFOs in that area, but uh, it's pretty common to see them. Yeah. Yep. Which is, that's cool. I mean, to, to have it so common around the area that you're just like, yeah, this happens here. Yeah. Why not? Now, just a few years after this sighting on May 16th, 1990, there was a strange occurrence that was witnessed by several people from the village of Kudara Simone. Olga Fedorova, a local resident recalled at some moment, everything turned yellow. My daughter came home from school and I looked, and her face was yellow. 
the explanation soon became clear, according to other accounts from villagers. Vasily Timofeev spoke of a flying saucer. Said its diameter was around 30 meters. It shone brightly, but I did not see a clear image of metal or something like that. Another resident, Margarita, uh, this one's going to get me. <laughs> Cybakova. Hey, all right. Uh, she said, from this dish came down people in shiny, shimmering costumes. Sound familiar? Olga explained. There, they were people, as far as I remember, three people in shining yellow suits. He said, and it seems like they were people. And so what she's saying is they were humanoid. Right. At least that's what I'm taking. Yeah. Um, that's what I get, too. Marina Zimariva, who also says she witnessed this extraordinary event, said that it was some kind of circle uh, like a disc. It turned on the edge and windows were visible. Hmm. So Zimariva goes on to say, I personally decided for myself that they were people. They had some type of human image. Said they were the same straight, slender. They had arms and legs and their gait was the same as ours. A little lower down, there were three in orange suits. They went down from the disc like a man and their steps were very visible. Hmm. So now, now you've got an, another sighting of humanoid creatures. This yep. time above, some, above the water. Some in silver suits, some in orange suits. Yep. And so if you go back to the diver story, the divers say that these humanoids had on shiny, shimmering suits. Yep. So... You know, and and remember this this occurred in 1990. That event about the divers wasn't released until 2009. Hmm. So what? Twenty twenty nine years before yeah. they released this this story. There's a story that comes out that is has creatures, humanoid creatures that are very similar to the ones the divers saw. Right. Right. Uh, at uh, at Listvianka in July of 2010, a picture taken by Nikita Toman shows three green shaded lights on a UFO flying above the lakeside resort in Irkutsk, in the Irkutsk region. And they said it flew right above us, very low. The object was shining down on us with a green light. He says we were all a bit scared. I was like, I bet you were. But the, you know, those, those photographs you can actually see. Now, I looked at the pictures and it looked, it, you can see the lights. That's really about, about it as far as these photographs go. But, you know, there are photographs of these things. But not only do these accounts uh, talk about aliens above the water, just like the divers experienced, there are accounts of things happening below the waters of Lake Baikal. Now, interestingly, unlike several other Siberian lakes, Baikal is not seen as home to a Loch Ness-style monster. Okay? But there, there are stories in other Siberian lakes of, of sea creatures, sea monsters living in them. Yeah. But, you know, like we said, 
the belief is that the aliens live under this lake. Right, right. Not a monster, it's aliens. That's right. <laughs> now, for example. Uh, they can't live next to each other. Monsters and aliens, they have that's to. That's right. It's, they got to be separate. You get your lake, I'll get my lake. <laughs> It's why Lake Superior is shaped like a dog's head. It's because there's dog-headed aliens at the bottom of it. See, there you go. We'll start that right now. In 20 years, somebody's going to go, have you heard this story about the dog-headed aliens that live at the bottom of Lake Superior? Yep. I heard those those (laughs) dummies on Graveyard Tales talking about it, and it's got to be true. It's got to be. Got to be true. Because those guys are idiots. (laughs) Yeah. And if they know about this... <laughs> but uh, but one uh, Vlasislav Larivitek. Nah, I screwed that one up, y'all. It's bad. <laughs> There's too many V's and R's right next to one another in this guy's name. <laughs> now, now he was a rescuer, and he recalled an incident, but he he didn't give the date. He says we were on a yacht in Lake Baikal, and from under us flew out a huge glowing disc. Said it blinded us, and for a second, it flew into the sky. Says we didn't even have time to grab any cameras nor take video, although many of us saw it. It was huge and lit up our entire yacht. Said the diameter of the disc was probably 500 to 700 meters. That's 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 crazy, enormous. Yeah. That, that something that big would even move. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, so, I mean, we're talking about a huge disc here. So, for three minutes, it shone from below the surface and then abruptly departed in a second. The spectacle was huge and awesome, beautiful and shocking. Okay, now, I'm, I, I go back to this. We didn't even have time to grab cameras or video. It was down there for three minutes. Yeah, right. I guess you right. were just so shocked then, that yeah. the first thing into your head isn't go grab a camera. I mean, yeah. I, I guess I'm, I would be thinking, are we about to die? Are we about to yeah. be lifted off? Is this thing going to blow us out of the water? So maybe you wouldn't automatically go grab a camera. Yeah, I can understand that. I mean, that I think for a while you would be so awestruck by it that you couldn't, but... I would think after a couple minutes of it just sitting there. Yeah. Somebody goes, get a picture of this thing. Somebody would have grabbed a photo of it or something. Yeah. Let's see. Oleg Oleg Chichulin was also on a boat training students near Cape Svatoynas, and they saw some strange objects in the water. Uh, It says there was a ball that glowed. And then this ball started to fade, fade, and blush. Said it turned into a red ball, and then the red ball, for a while, just laid on top of the water, and then it began to sink. And all this gradually uh, went under the water, and then it became dark. Huh. So, the, the I didn't include all of them, but the glowing ball accounts are very common. Above yep. and yep. below the surface of the water. And usually you're seeing the green green balls, red balls, red balls that turn green, green balls that turn red. 
Great balls stuff. of fire. Yeah, it's like it's you know Christmas Island out there. Yep. Um, but you know they're all different sizes. Like I said, up in the air, down way down below the surface, illuminating the the water underneath. You know boats and things like that. And there's old stories of people that have, their families have lived there for generations that they say their ancestors saw it too. Yeah. Yeah. Balls coming out of balls of light coming yeah. out of the lake. Yeah. Uh, in 1977, so we're going back, we're going back further. Um, when uh, Leonid Brezhnev ruled the Kremlin, two researchers named V. Alexandrov and G. Silverstoff were in a submersible device at a depth of 1,200 meters in the lake. Hmm. The researchers turned off their spotlights to explore the depth of penetration of sunlight into the water. Suddenly, the scientists were bathed in light from an unusual glow. Alexandrov recalled, it was, it was like if our device was lit from above and the side by two strong spotlights. Only a minute later, unknown, the unknown floodlights went out and we found ourselves in total darkness. Hmm, that's wild. Okay, so, you know, you've got, you've got two government researchers in a submersible down there mm. doing legit research to find out how how deep can sunlight penetrate this enormous lake and all of a sudden bam you know there is bright light all around them yep and then just as quickly as it came it went away that would freak you out yeah can you imagine and then it and then it leaves you in total darkness now you you ever been you ever been walking in the dark and your your eyes are adjusted, and then all of a sudden there's a bright light that hits you, and then it mm-hmm. goes off, and now yep. it's like it's completely pitch black. Yep, you're blinded for several seconds. How terrifying would that be? Because oh, yeah. you're that far underwater, and all of a sudden it's completely pitch black. Well, and, that's what I was going to say. Is it is what would be scarier? The lights hitting you, or the lights then going off? Right. Like, what, what's the what's the scarier part? Right, right. Because uh, then you get to worry about what caused the light. <laughs> where is it? And if I can't see it, where is that thing that I don't know that it is? <laughs> exactly. So that those are just some of the alien accounts from around Lake Baikal. Um, and, and these are some of the best ones because they're eyewitness accounts with, you know, they're documented, um, you've got the witnesses names, um, and, and there's tons more. Okay. But you get the point. They, they all follow a similar theme. You know, we're seeing balls of light. We're seeing flying discs. We're seeing strange lights under the water, um, and then so, you, Matt, you take all of that with the story from the divers and it makes you think, well, heck, maybe maybe there is some type of alien colony at the bottom of Lake Baikal. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is, Matt, what what do you think is going on here? Oh, man, I, I, I'm not sure. I, I really look the the. The part of me that that started that wanted to start this podcast wants to believe that there is some type of civilization 
mm-hmm. that is so far advanced that they have managed to live at the bottom of this lake and avoid human detection um, right. or or at least I- enough detection to fully identify what it is. Yeah. Um, could they be from another planet? I suppose. Um, I, I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily lean that direction. I, I like the idea that it would be, um, an ancient, um, race, mm-hmm. maybe an advanced race. I, 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 I tend to, I, I tend to like that a, a little bit more than the idea that extraterrestrials from outer space somehow managed to adapt and develop a way to live in these ridiculous uh-huh. depths uh, and at these temperatures. But if, if you consider this, what's space like? Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, no atmosphere, extraordinary pressure, um, you know, very old. Yeah, very, very cold. Um, so I don't know, maybe the transition, you know, for, you know, uh, uh, some type of, uh, some type of life form that came from another, um, planet, galaxy, whatever, you know, solar system, whatever you want to say, maybe they were already adapt to an environment like that. And this just was, there, there wasn't a whole lot to make that jump. I don't know, but I I do like that ancient, uh, ancient race theory a little bit better. All right, let's take a break and talk about one of our longtime sponsors, HelloFresh. Now, HelloFresh is a meal delivery service where you get fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. You can skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. And that's why it's America's number one meal kit. Now, the holidays can be hectic. Um, I, I know things get crazy here. Mm-hmm. They've It's already started. Oh, yeah, dude. You know, things are going bananas already. But HelloFresh helps keep things simple with recipes that cut back on meal prep and cleanup so that you can spend less time in the kitchen and more quality time with friends and family. Now, HelloFresh offers 50 menu and market items to choose from every week, including vegetarian, calorie smart, and gourmet options, providing plenty of variety. That's right. And ingredients travel from farm to your door within a week. So you get the convenience without skimping on the quality. Plus, you can skip trips to the grocery store and avoid the long holiday lines, which is phenomenal because I hate going to the grocery store. And I tell you, man, we were a little bit late going to the grocery store for Thanksgiving stuff. And if if you want to avoid what we went through, just get HelloFresh because we stood in line. I mean, there's lines up and down the aisles just to get to stuff half the stuff's out anyway they've already picked through it and you're not going to get it so if you go to HelloFresh and you plan your meals around HelloFresh you don't have to worry about all that mess that we went through 
And HelloFresh meals are ready in around 30 minutes or less. Plus, with their quick and easy meals, 20-minute recipes, or low prep and easy cleanup options, you can get food on the table quicker so you can spend even more time with your loved ones during the holidays. And that's great. Uh, we we love it because we can get Michael in there helping cook, and he enjoys doing it. I mean, you say what you will, but everybody enjoys a meal that they have a hand in prepping more. You know, I did this, I helped with this, so it just tastes a little bit better. Yeah, and you know, my kids, they, they love it too, but so do we because, we, you know, we, it, we know what's for dinner. And mm-hmm. I mean, that's the worst question I get, but 3.30, 4 o'clock, what do you want for supper? Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, this uh, HelloFresh gives you not only an easy option, it gives you variety. It gives you recipes that you probably wouldn't just immediately decide, hey, we're going to make this tonight. Right. You, know, you don't get stuck with the same hamburger meat thrown over rice that you get all the time. Yeah, that's right. You're you don't I don't I don't immediately think about making chicken sausage and sweet potato soup. Nope. You know. But man, does that sound good. Yes, it does. <laughs> I wish that's what I'd had tonight. No kidding. And and don't forget about desserts because you can satisfy your sweet tooth with seasonal limited time goodies like ginger spiced cake truffles and cherry cheesecake swirl bars. Oh, I love cheesecake. Oh my goodness. That's great. And one other thing you were saying you didn't think about, they have a balsamic and fig beef tenderloin that is phenomenal, and I love figs. Yeah, so do I. That's the only way I can get Michael to eat a fig is (laughs) this way. He won't touch a fig, but I love them. So that that was a great recipe. So if Adam and I have made your mouth water... Go to HelloFresh.com slash Graveyard14 and use our promo code Graveyard14. That's G-R-A-V-E-Y-A-R-D-1-4 to get up to 14 free meals and three free gifts. That's incredible. Uh, So all you got to do, go to HelloFresh.com slash Graveyard14, G-R-A-V-E-Y-A-R-D-1-4, and use our promo code Graveyard14, and you can get up to 14 free meals and those three free gifts. Let me know what you get. That that's kind of where I land, because you know me with uh, some of the other alien encounters ufo sightings that we've had i i kind of feel like it's more of like the ancient watchers more than an alien species from off planet um but i i think if we're gonna look at it paranormally then i think it it there's a lot of evidence to the fact that there could be some unknown humanoid species living down there with a base and it's causing some of the weird geologic features like the the abnormal heating and the the balls of light being seen mm-hmm. go in and out and you know the the people in the silvery suits maybe those are dive suits mm-hmm. for this species who knows but then the other side of me, the more 
I get the the less woo woo side of me, the the more practical side says, well, what if there is an unknown geologic process? Because we feel like we know everything about the Earth, or that we know enough that we can say, no, this doesn't happen. No, that's the way to. But we don't. Mm-hmm. That's hubris to think that mm-hmm. we do. So what if there is some unknown geological process that's happening that's causing this heating that is causing clarity of the water and has caused this lake to stay around for millions of years that actually creates some magnetic discharge like we've had with other Earthlight experiences that causes balls of light maybe to come in and out of the water that these ancient peoples have been seeing up until recently and maybe there's enough of a magnetic field there to mess with what people see and experience but it doesn't explain divers getting rocketed out of the water right after seeing these humanoid ass creatures. So I don't I don't know. I, I I'm on the fence about it, but there is definitely something strange about Lake Baikal. Yeah. Even even without the diver story, even if you take that out of the equation, one thing you have to consider is I, I would imagine a, a large part of the population around Lake Baikal, I mean look, I'm forty seven years old. I remember the Soviet Union. Yep. I mean, I, I know there are people that live around this area that are my age, maybe even a little younger and definitely older that remember it well. And the whole idea of sharing an experience like this was not taken lightly. No, you know, the, the, the government of the Soviet union, um, these were things you didn't speak about. Right. Okay. I mean, people were put in prison for telling stories like this. So they don't, they thought it could hurt the country's image. Exactly. To the rest of the world. Then you were in deep doo-doo. Yeah. And so, like I said, those things weren't taken lightly. And there's, uh, I would imagine a lot of folks that have stories that they experienced either from their childhood or their younger adult life that, they didn't speak of until after the Soviet Union uh, mm-hmm. had fallen. So old habits die hard. Yep. I would imagine there's even more stories that aren't told because of that. You know, somebody's grandfather, you know, lived under the Soviet regime for 50 years. You know, he, he knew what could happen to him if he started talking about flying saucers. So he didn't say anything. And then there's right. some, I would imagine, that held on to these stories for so long that they're sharing them, you know, you know, in the modern era. And, you know, that's where a lot of these uh, eyewitness accounts are coming from or from people when, when you know they couldn't talk about it then. And I bet there's a lot of them, too, that get swept aside by. Yeah younger generations that are going, Oh, grandma, you're crazy. You've, you've gotten into the illegal moonshine again, or <laughs> yeah, you know, something like that. And they just don't believe them because it was such a different time. Yeah. 
yeah. they're like, ah, you didn't see what you thought you saw. But, you know, I, I know it sounds like I'm kind of rambling, but my point is it, it takes away, at least in my eyes, the idea that this could be a hoax. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, 100%. You, yeah. you wouldn't, you, you grew up in an environment where formulating a story like this was absolutely unheard of. When it happened, you wouldn't even talk about it. Why the heck would you make it up? Right, um, right. So, so sharing a story like this, I, I don't believe it's a hoax or anyone looking for attention. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that area, especially back then, would, would allow a hoax like this to get out. Right. Right. Nowadays, maybe, but. You know, you have to then look, it, are all these stories of recent origin? And not all of them are because they're coming from people indigenous to the island. They're in the lake talking about the lights coming in and out. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I'm with you. I, I don't I don't think it's all a big hoax or series of hoaxes. Yeah. But I I definitely agree with with what Adam said at the top of the show, if, if there was going to be something like this, this would be the place you'd find it. Yep. You know, a lake, this old, this deep, um, it would be a great place to hide something like that. Um, but what do you guys think? Um, have you heard stories from Lake by call similar to this, uh, before? Um, and, and if you have, or even if you haven't, let us know what you think, you know, do you think this is some weird government uh, military base that's at the bottom of this lake? Do you think it could be could an ancient be. ancient race? Do you think it could be, you know, aliens? Um, maybe there's a dimensional portal down there. We could open that can of worms. But <laughs> but let us know what you think. And the best place to do that is in our Facebook group. And you know we have we have tried to create a a good safe space for people to share stories and beliefs just like this. Um, mm-hmm. You're not going to be made fun of, you know, all the members just want to have a good time and, and hear some amazing experiences from the what now 6,000 plus members of the graveyard. Yep. And, and while you're there, you can catch us on so other social media. We're on Instagram and Twitter. And you can then head over to our website, which is graveyardpodcast.com. And on our site, you can find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise, which uh, uh, now now's the time to grab your uh, your Graveyard Tales hoodie or uh, Amen. coffee mug, you know, just <laughs> something great, you know, looking looking for a gift for someone that's a member of the graveyard. It's a good place to start. Um, an 8-bit Skull Mike hoodie or something. There you go. There you go. Brooks has got an 8-bit Skull Mike hoodie that he likes. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, Pretty cool. He reps the show at school for me. Um, there you go. But you can also listen to the show and you become a patron. Um, and thank you to everyone who has donated to the show. There is some some really great stuff in that catalog that's gotten pretty pretty deep now. Um, mm-hmm. So again, if you if you haven't if you've been thinking about it and you haven't pulled the trigger, go ahead. I think you'll really enjoy. Um, some of the the bonus stuff that you get um with uh with a patreon membership yeah don't forget to rate and review us on itunes it brings us up the charts 
and it makes it easier for uh, people to find the show, and that just brings more people into the graveyard. So, um, for Adam and myself, until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.